Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, cheating at casinos and the worst excuses. All their equipment, all their cameras, all their surveillance, all their security. And we just went in there with wet balls and just, you know, pulled their pants down and stole all their money. If you see somebody betting correctly 100% of the time over a series of bets, call surveillance right away because you have a cheating team. And I, the move was so good that. I actually used surveillance unknowingly, help, helping me cheat. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest is widely considered to be the biggest casino cheat of all time. This is Richard Marcus. How did you get started doing that? Kind of happened through my progression through degenerative gambling. Uh, throughout my childhood, I was gambling from eight years old, starting with flipping baseball cards uh, for keeps. Uh, to make the long story short, I uh, when I was 18 years old, I, I bought a uh, brand new convertible Mustang, drove out to Vegas. I had $20,000 in it uh, in the back, in the trunk. Uh, I gambled it and lost and found myself living in the street in Las Vegas. And uh, eventually uh, I realized I had to do something uh, in order to survive. So I, I um, became a dealer uh, in a casino. And uh, just looking to get enough money to go home back back to back to New York. And uh, I just could never get the money together because, um, you know, I was paying rent in a small apartment. And finally, one night in my casino, uh, a guy walked into the casino and it uh, turned out he was a, a very well-known uh, international casino cheat. And we started to talk and he said to me, well, you know, let's meet after your shift. I met him. Uh, uh, we clicked. Uh, you know, I have a good instinct of whether or not I can trust people. I trusted this guy, and uh, he, he, uh, he's 20 years older than I am. And he uh, proposed that uh, him and I team up together and start cheating casinos. That's how it happened. So when you started, like, what were you doing? Like, how, do you, how did you cheat casinos in the beginning? Uh, I was stealing a game called Baccarat. Um, and I figured out a way to actually set up the cards uh, in the card shoe that they would be dealt out uh, so that the players would win. And I figured out how to do that. And uh, that's the first cheat I ever did, the particular scam that I did. It's called a false shuffle scam, where, you, where you're shuffling the cards, but you're not really shuffling the cards. Now, was it just Baccarat? Uh, that particular scam was just Baccarat. But then after that scam was over, I joined up with Joe, and he had two other people on his team, so we became a four-person a four person cheating team, and we went all over the world for, well, 12 or 13 years together, and then after that, Joe retired, and then I took over the team for another 12 years. So I was actually cheating for 25 years professionally and, and uh, doing all kinds of uh, scams, but the, the scams were all based on... Um, manipulation of chips we would make our bets after the, the the decision was already known it's called pass posting so i'm basically considered uh to have been the the best professional casino cheat of all time how much do you think that you got all together there's a difference between how much i got and how much i made uh, over 25 years, uh, you know, we actually cheated casinos out of, say, $25 million. Uh, in the winter, we'd be working the, you know, the Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, 
where all of it, Aruba, uh, these are places where there's going to be a lot of people and the casinos are going to be busy. In the summer, we would be in Monte Carlo or, or the south of France or South America. And then the rest of the time, we would be working in Las Vegas and Atlantic City and, and uh, the rest of the American or Canadian casinos. So the expenses, uh, you know, out of that $25 million, we probably spent 40% of it just on traveling and eating and hotel expenses. When you look at kind of other people who are professional casino cheats, right, is that kind of par for the course in that sense? Like, is that... Generally speaking, that statement is correct. Now, there have been a few one-shot scams, all in Baccarat, because Baccarat is unique in that once the cards are dealt and put into the card shoe and they come out, the, the player decisions cannot affect the order of the cards. Uh, in Blackjack, that's different. The cards uh, are shuffled, but you can never know the exact order of the cards throughout a whole deck or a whole six or eight deck shoe. Because the, the, the player's decisions affect the order of the cards. So uh, people have come up with ways to film and record the order of the cards. Therefore, they would have knowledge of the whole eight-deck shoe. So these scams have grossed, you know, nobody really knows for sure, but between 50 and $100 million, uh, where in one particular sitting uh, or one, one particular night in a casino, They've, they've got more than a million dollars in one night. I mean, the most I ever got in one night was maybe $120,000, $150,000. Okay, so we're talking, you know, much larger stuff. But the difference between me and them is they all get caught. Uh, yeah, um, I never got caught. So uh, i rather have a few million and uh, not have any problems than get, uh, you know, 40 or 50 million and get caught and then have to give it back and maybe go to jail. How did you never get caught? The basic reason uh, is that I knew when to stop and I wasn't greedy. Uh, you know, I, I knew when I had a lot of heat. There was one point in time in Las Vegas when uh, I'm known for this particular move uh, called uh, Savannah, like Savannah, Georgia. But it was actually named after the, uh, a stripper in a, in, a, in a titty bar who was actually giving us lap dances when we thought of the move. But... Um, we just um, knew because uh, uh, I was doing that particular Savannah move and there was a lot of heat on me because everybody in the uh, surveillance uh, business and all the, uh, the gaming commission in, in Las Vegas, uh, the gaming control board, uh, they, they all knew I was the one cheating, but they couldn't figure out what I was doing. You know, it's kind of like rubbing their nose in it. And I, the move was so good that I actually used surveillance filming me to, to inadvertent, they were uh, unknowingly help, helping me cheat. But it was the best move of all time because it, it never got caught. The casinos never figured it out until I revealed it in the book. And, and through that, through that uh, Nick, I became a, what I'm doing now, I became a consultant to casinos. I now work for casinos all over the world, uh, training them on how to protect themselves from people like me. To make it short, I would bet $10,000 on a roulette wheel in chips. If I won, I got paid. If I lost, I just took the bet back, and, and they never saw it. So you never got caught, but this move, the Savannah, like, can you just kind of describe what is it? Like, this, It was a kiss move, keep it simple, stupid, which uh, casinos, they always think when you're taking uh, millions of dollars from them that you have something that's really sophisticated. It was actually the simplest move ever. You know, if you have a grandmother, a great grandmother or a grandfather that's, you know, in his or her 90s or 100s, I could teach them the whole move in uh, five seconds and take them into the casino and do it. As long as they're capable of just lifting two chips off the, off the uh, layout and, and putting two chips down like they're making a bet. That's all it requires. And uh, what it was is I would bet. Now, this chip here, this white chip represents $5,000. This red chip is $5. And in, uh, in most casinos in Las Vegas, the, the $5,000 chips and the $5 chips are the same size. So I would make the bet on, on roulette. I would bet $5,000 and $5 on top. And the $5 chip on top would be jutted out slightly like this. 
So it's jutted out, pointing toward the dealer. Now, when the dealer looks at it, the dealer sees that there is a $5 chip on top and also sees that there's a chip on the bottom, but the dealer cannot see the color of the chip on the bottom. Therefore, the dealer assumes that what, what he or she is looking at is a bet of $10. It's, they psychologically are manipulated into thinking that it's a $10 bet, okay? Because, and they never step out of the box to like, you know, to look down at the bet because it's all the way down at the bottom of the layout. So what's bet actually is the $5,005 just like that. So what happens? It's bet on an outside column bet, which pays two to one. There's three columns uh, on the uh, on the roulette layout where you bet each one pays two to one. They're at the bottom of the layout. If one of my columns wins, I just go, yes, I, I won the bet. Yes, there it is. Ten thousand bucks. Winner. Yes. Now, the dealer doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about it because the dealer thinks that it's a ten dollar bet like this. But it's really a $5,005 bet like this, right? So the dealer, has, uh, the dealer thinks like I'm some kind of nut. What's this guy getting all excited about? He won $10 or $20, two for one, right? But I have a $5,000 chip underneath there. And then finally, I have to say to the dealer, look, look at it. Because the dealer's saying, no, sir, you only have $10 there. So I say, look, come down and look at it. I'm pointing to it like this. Look at it. And then the dealer would come down and look at it and then, boom, see it, and, and they get bitten in the nose because there's a $5,000 chip sitting under there. It's a $10,000 payoff. I mean, that's a huge payoff, right? And, you know, and, and we only did this in, uh, you know, top-rate casinos where they had that kind of a maximum where you could bet up to $5,000 and get paid $10,000. So the dealer would then tell the supervisor, look, the guy had a $5,000 chip under there. And the supervisor would say, like, why didn't you call it out? Because they have to alert the pit to these big bets like that uh, before they spin the ball. But obviously, the dealer is not calling out the bet because the, the dealer didn't see it. So then they get suspicious. And what do they do, Nick? When they get suspicious, they call surveillance. And surveillance can run it, run it back, right? And, uh, and they can run it right back. And in, within seconds, they can get... They can see what happened. Was it a legitimate bet or not? And they, they run it back, and sure enough, they see it. it's a legitimate bet. I made the bet well before the dealer spun the ball, and they have to pay it, $10,000. But what happens when I lose? Now, there's five there's $5,005 over there. On the top of the wheel is my partner, and my partner is concentrating on the where the uh, when and on what number the ball drops. And my partner, being right on top of the wheel, has actually a better angle on the wheel and can actually see it, see where that ball drops a fraction of a second before the dealer does. So if he yells, shit, or hey, or whatever, because people yell and scream in casinos all the time, that's my signal that I got to take that bet off the layout, right? Because I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to let them take it. If they take it, that's $5,000 that are gone, right? So... And um, and it's not like I had to go out and, and grab it and, you know, do some kind of, uh, you know, violent move to, to go get the chips back. All I had to do was very softly just pick it up. Now, you would think the dealer would catch me every time, but the dealer only actually saw me pick the chips up one of every five times. I mean, we kept records, so we know it's about 20 percent of the time the dealer would actually catch me. So if the dealer didn't catch me and I just gently picked up the bet, right, and it disappeared in my pocket, right, it was all over with, you know, they, that's it, it's done. But when the dealer did catch me, right, it was like they didn't react kindly because it's a flagrant violation when you pull off a, a losing bet before they can take it. And they, they would start, hey, put that back. And then as soon as that happened, right, I would immediately, I had a glass, uh, uh, well, not a coffee cup, I would have a, uh, a cocktail glass in my hand, and I would immediately go into a, a drunk routine like this. What? What happened? What happened? And the dealer is yelling and screaming, you know, put that bet back. Oh, so what do I put back? Do I put back 
the five thousand dollar bet with a five dollar chip on top? No, I put back ten dollars. You know, usually uh, a supervisor or a pit boss would come running into the pit because the dealer screamed. You know, the, the 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 pit boss wants to know why the dealer screamed, and the dealer explains, yeah, he tried to pick up his bet after it lost. And I'm like this, hey, Mr. Pitbull, how's it going? What's up? Me and you, we're going to go out drinking after this. Come on, come drink it with me, right? And it's only about $10, so they don't ever call surveillance to see what happens. They don't care. It's just $10. But when it wins, when it wins, it's a legitimate bet. But you could only do that, though, once you won. You had, you'd leave the table. You'd have to go to another place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only not only that, but even if the bet lost, I would have we would have to leave the casino or at least at least come back on a different shift. Why? Because let's say at, let's say some pit boss decided uh, or somebody in surveillance decided that after they ran the the, uh, the camp, the, the video back and they saw it was a legitimate bet. Right. What happens if they decide, well, let's see if this guy was in here before. How long has he been here? Right. Because it's still a suspicious thing that nobody saw the bet get made. And then they figure it out. And I never gave them that chance. We were, we were smart enough to know that one bet, win or lose. I mean, don't forget, in Vegas, you got 60, 70 casinos where you can do this. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Absolutely. So easiest game to cheat at, hardest game to cheat at? Easiest game to cheat at, let uh, because there's so many hands out there all the time. There's so many people betting. And most importantly, the, uh, the angle between the, the angle and distance between the dealer and the farthest player away in distance at the bottom of the wheel is greater than in any other casino. What about the hardest one? What's craps? Because you have, it's a big table, but you have three employees on it. You have a stick man and you have a, what's called a base dealer on each side that, that, that uh, uh, takes the uh, dice, excuse me, that, that uh, pays the bets, takes the bets, and the stick man pushes the dice to the, to the dice shooter. And sometimes you even have a box man who sits across from the sit man and watches all the action. So, uh, and, and in order to, the, the actual physicality of the moves are harder on a craps table than on any of, the, any of the other games. Like what usually tips you off to achieve? The acting weird and doing strange things would apply to high-tech cheating uh, because they've got gadgets and they've got to they they got to constantly test and touch their gadgets, uh, especially uh, around games like uh, electronic roulette and slot machines. Um, you know that would that would be a giveaway on the regular standard te- uh, table games. It would be very hard to detect before they do anything, the cheating, uh, unless they're acting really nervous or, or, or they're craning their heads to see other people's cards. Uh, but what I teach is there are some real subtleties about how casino uh, surveillance or even table games people can catch on to a, a professional cheating team is by the way they bet their chips. They have a, they bet their chips in a certain way so they the dealer to ever have to touch the chips or have a second look at their chips. And the way they do that is by betting, betting their chips always perfectly straight and one on top of the other, not slanted off like I was showing before with a move. Perfectly straight. Because, uh, Nick, nobody bets that way. People, when they're betting their chips, especially in games like roulette, when people are making multiple bets, they're betting on all the numbers, you know, they're moving around. And they don't pay attention to their bets. They just put the chips down and they don't care how they land. They don't care if they're in the center of the number or if they're not stacked up one on top of the other. But a professional casino cheating team, they're that all the series of bets that they make. And in roulette, a lot of bets are necessary in some of these uh, advanced scams that they, they make sure if they make six or seven or eight bets on the roulette layout, let's say six or seven numbers, their bets are always perfectly placed in the middle of the number, which is in the middle of the box, and perfectly stacked one chip on the other. So I always say, and the dealers are spending a lot of time 
on the game, fixing up all the messy bets on the layout. So they never touch or look at the bets that are perfectly placed. So I warn them, which it, it kind of seems contradictory, but it's never, nevertheless true. If you see somebody betting correctly, perfectly correctly, uh, 100% of the time over a series of bets, call surveillance right away because you have a cheating team. How, how prevalent is cheating in a casino? Is this something that's happening every day in every casino, or is this something that is happening occasionally? Like how prevalent? Does it happen every day in a casino? In every casino that's you know got 30 or 40 or 50 tables or more? Yes. Uh, to the extent of what it happens, of, of, of what cheating occurs, is it major cheating? Is it something that could take the cheating for thousands of dollars? 90%, 95% of the time, not. It's somebody, you know, maybe trying to add a quick $10 or, or to their winning bet or somebody trying to pull a, a losing bet off uh, for $10. Um, uh, much more common now than the actual cheating is what we call advantage play, which means that intelligent people who gamble uh, and who have the patience to look at certain games that they could, there could actually be a, a mathematical advantage to them uh, instead of to the house. Like I'm sure you've heard of card counting. So now with all the gaming and the casinos going on, you know, more than ever, more, more, more anywhere now in the United States than anywhere else, um, there's, there's, there's a big cheating scam going on somewhere, you know, Every week, for sure, like a major scam going on every week, for sure. But when you compare, you know, when you analyze that, uh, taking into account of how many casinos there are, you know, it's it's not that much. Do you think are more people doing it now than they have in the past? Yes, uh, more cheating is going on now uh, uh, for a lot of reasons. One is uh, uh, when you talk about the advance, uh, the advances in technology. Uh, the cheats and the hackers and all that, they they utilize it and adapt to new technology much fast much faster than casinos still. So and then, and now the um, the small time cheats know that casinos are more interested in the big time hacking and uh, technology stuff that they think, well now we're just a little we're just little cheats in here looking to make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a day. So they go in and uh, they they feel they have a, a better uh, a better chance of avoiding getting caught because of the increase in overall cheat. It's the last one. Did cheats know other cheats? Like, did you know other people? Oh, like, oh absolutely. He's... Absolutely. Did, uh, we were, uh, like I said before, we cheated every game, but we really liked to work roulette the most. And we would travel the world. So if we're in Reno, Nevada, one weekend, and we're we're playing roulette, and we notice a couple of guys in the Bahamas uh, a week later who were also on the wheel on the roulette table while we were in Reno, Nevada. You get very suspicious, and then if you see them two weeks later in London on a on a roulette wheel, you know they're working. You know they're doing something. You know they're not they're not just traveling around gambling, right? So one one uh, one really great story is uh, I'll tell you very quickly is. Uh, we were in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and we were on our uh, we were on the, the roulette table. So when I say on the wheel, I mean on the roulette table. So we were on the wheel, getting ready to pass folks a uh, hundred dollar chip straight up on a number underneath the dolly. You know, uh, when the when you when the dealer yeah yeah see so they put a dolly on top of it, right? So we were there to put a hundred dollars underneath that dolly after we already knew what the number was. You get paid thirty five hundred, right? And we're all ready to do the move. And at the right time, when the when the mechanic, that's the person who switches the chips or puts in more chips, at the at the moment of truth, when the when our mechanic is getting re is preparing to do the move, his hand shoots out, shoots out to where the chips are, like this, to try and switch them, right? And then another hand shot out from the other direction. And the two hands collided like this, and the chips went flying all over the place. And, right? In other words, the, the the our mechanic's hand and another hand collided, and the dolly went flying, and the chips went flying. 
and it was uh it was an embarrassment but we knew who they we know what we knew what they were doing and they knew what we were doing which was basically the same thing so uh the guy joe who was my mentor in all this he had the immediate presence of mind to immediately spill a drink all over the layout to get everybody's attention off what happened and create chaos and so nobody really even complained about it the dealer never said anything about it so we cleaned it up but then we had a problem because we knew we had another team working in, in, in Lake Tahoe while we were, and we, we were getting in each other's way, so we had to settle this somehow. So we left the table. They left the table. We started walking around looking for them. They started walking around looking for us, and we met up with them in another casino uh, in a bar. Uh, and it turned out that they were from Italy, and mo most of the uh, professional pass posting uh, roulette teams are Italians. And the difference between them and us is in Italy, it's a generational thing. And most and most of the professional casino cheating teams in Italy are mafia people. They're actually part of mafia uh, families in yeah. Italy. So we, we, uh, we knew that. So, you know, we had to be careful with these guys. Uh, so um, to make the long story short, we made a truce with them. We there were four, at the time on the south shore of Lake Tahoe, there were only four casinos, two on one side of the street, two on the other side of the street. And we made a truce with them. They said, okay, you guys stay here, and you guys, and we stay here, and we don't get in each other's way. And it was fine. And then, and then through the years, you know, for the next 10 or 15 years, every time we ran into them, we ran into them several times, like six or seven times, we would, we would sit down and talk, and we would discuss, okay, you guys can have these casinos, and we'll take these casinos. And, uh, and you know, besides them, uh, uh, over the years, you know, I, I recognized other people's cheating, other professionals. But, you know, you know, I see I see, you know, amateur cheats all the time. Because now I also do undercover work for casinos looking for cheats. And I see these amateur cheats all the time that are just taking a shot for 20 bucks, 50 bucks or something like that. I see them all the time. And once in a while, I, I, I see a, a, a professional team that I know can do damage. Did you ever feel bad about it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, you know what, uh, Nick? A after a while, because I said in the beginning of, of, of the show, I said that I was a degenerate gambler, which was really what led me to, to the cheating. And even in the first years of cheating, uh, I would go out and, and make twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in a night cheating, and then I would go gamble it three hours after I finished cheating and lose it all, and then go back to do the cheating. It became like a like a cycle. So I was, I was cheating, risking my ass, cheating. This happened for six months. And whatever I made, I just went and gambled. And then because I always knew I could cheat. So, so you know, uh, I finally learned to stop that. And I finally started to keep the money. So we made, so once I started to uh, keep the money, I accumulated a lot of money quickly. And then after a couple of years, to be honest, it became more about the adrenaline. It, it was so much fun. You know, uh, it was just so much fun. It was like David against uh, Goliath, right? But it was, it was just, it was just, uh, you know, with all their equipment, all their cameras, all their surveillance, all their security, and we just went in there with wet balls and just, you know, pulled their pants down and stole all their money. Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was just like the adrenaline rush you got off that. Uh, and, I, and people ask me that question all the time. You know, do you, you know, I. Do you uh, regret what you're doing? Uh, do what you did, and, and I'm never. I'm not gonna bullshit people and say, "Oh yeah, you know, now I, you know, I, uh, I, I found Jesus or somebody, and I realized, uh, you know, I, I did something wrong." Hell no, I loved it. And the best part of my life was cheating <laughs> the casino. That's all the questions I got. Is there anything you think that we missed, or how can people get a hold of you? I know you mentioned a book. Where, what's the name of it? Where can people find yeah, it? Uh, the, uh, the name of the book uh, is American Roulette. Uh, in the UK and Europe, it's called uh, the Great Casino Heist, and the easiest way to get it is right on Amazon or, or, or any other online bookseller. And it's uh, it's really an entertaining story. And uh, my website is now called GlobalTableGamesProtection.com. GlobalTableGamesProtection.com. I want to thank Richard so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, 
Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see some of the tricks that he does, because while he's talking about the Savannah move, he's actually demonstrating it. So if you want to see that, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on February 22nd at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Have you ever told a really big lie? Like something that would get you fired or ruin a relationship? Something like that. No, I'm a pretty honest person. I, I, don't, I don't think I've told a, a lie that is that bad, no. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst and 1 being, like, the least, how big of a lie would you say that you've told? Probably 5, maybe a 6. I've never told a lie that would get me, like, straight up fired. Mm -hmm. But I've told a couple that if, like, there was an accumulation, they would probably fire me. When I talk to somebody, I feel like they're almost just lying anyways. Like, why would someone tell me the truth about something? Oh, yeah, I would say that probably at least half of what people say is probably some sort of lie or an exaggeration. How many lies a day do you think you, t you tell a day? Probably less than five. I would say I tell less than five lies slash exaggeration a day. Like, yeah, and probably mainly zero or one, but Usually less than five. How about you? I mean, for instance, you know, say you're, you know, you're getting your morning coffee somewhere and the person goes, how are you this morning? And you go, fine, good. When you really just want to go, no, I'm not okay. I've had a shit morning. Yeah, but there's most of the time when I lie to somebody, it's a lie of convenience so that like, I don't have to deal with a situation that doesn't really matter. In the oh. Right. Like, like you said, like, how are you doing? Well, Pretty bad, actually. I'm pretty low today. But you always be like, oh, I'm doing good. Just because I don't want to have that conversation. But like, what if we, what if you start a trend that for the next week, you answer those questions honestly? I wonder what, what reactions you would get from people that probably be like, oh, God, didn't ask for this. Oh, I think that society has to have a certain level of bullshit in order to operate smoothly. Like, we've all got to kind of lie to each other in order for all of this to work. I would actually make an argument that not only do we have to have a certain level of BS, we have to have a pretty high level of BS. But do you have to have a good BS detector? I think it's more important. No, not really. I don't think so. I think people are pretty good at telling when somebody's telling when someone's lying to them about something important. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that... In order for society to operate functionally, 75 to 80% of everything that we do has to just be BS. Wow, that is a... Uh, I mean, but, I guess we could really break it down if we wanted to spend the entire hour talking about this, but... But think about it in this way, seems... right? Like, how many times do you ask somebody how they're doing or have a conversation that you're really not interested in or do a job that you really don't care about and pretend like that's important... Or do other things that like, oh, this is a really big deal. We got to really focus. And like, no, you really don't. On a daily basis, we do less things of importance that actually matter than we think. Now, if that's lying or over-exaggeration, I don't know if I know the difference. But I definitely think, I agree with you to some extent. I just don't know if you're, if lying is included in that. Yeah, I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's a lie, but I think that you kind of have to just put up with a certain amount of BS. I asked the audience, have you ever told a really big lie? How many people do you think have said said yes? How many people do you think said no? Oh, I, I would say it's an, an 8 out of 10, or, you know, 8 to, yeah, 8 out of 10 ratio, probably 80, 20, that I've told a big lie. 62% said yes, 40% said no. I would have thought it would be a little bit higher. Yeah, no, that people have no really way. said a big lie, but then again, they might be lying about the fact that they've never told a really big lie. They might be lying about the fact of the choice they make on the poll. Is what you're saying? I think that you do have to just accept the fact that all of life is a certain amount of BS, and then you just move on. And if you can't accept that, you're never really going to be happy. Here's the thing: if everyone was, if honesty was just naturally born into our, you know. Uh, 
way that we look at life or, or act in life, then it wouldn't be one of the, the, the best traits we talk about. All right, uh, let's get to uh, some shout outs. Do it. Uh, all right, Jeremy Foley, Evan Froscione, and I know I screwed up that last name terribly, but uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I like Evan, so, that, so that's why it's in there. Uh, Sean Conley, Caden Berg. Don't hear a lot of Cadens. Alfonso Chavez, mm. Matt Teague, uh, Ricky Rick. That can't be real, or maybe it is. Uh, Jonathan Alexander, Corey Milland, Luigi Misadin. I like Luigi, right? Yeah, that's a good name. You don't really hear of that much because you're going to get too much crap. Uh, Jack Heaton, and we're going to end here with uh, just a simple old good old American name of Ben Thomas. Who do you generally like more? Sean S H A W N or Sean S E A N. Oh, all right. All I'm going to say is from personal experience. Uh, I'll go with S H A W N. You like an S H A W N Sean more than an S E A N Sean. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I would agree with that. My neighbor S- S- is an S S H A W N. Oh, okay. To me, though, I would say that S E A N Sean does seem a little bit more shifty than an S H A W N Sean. But or you could have an S H A U N to really blow your doors off. No, oh, I don't think that. that that's, that's just too much. That's doing too much. What's up, man? My four-year-old just came in. Riley, say hi to Uncle John. Hi. You got candy in your mouth? Yes. What you got? Uh. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. I got uh, ten things here for you. Do Rapid it. fire. I'm still trying to think of a good like title. If anyone has a good title for this, I'm maybe just... if I had the... I'm just impressed that you have gone from basically like a two-minute introduction of this to getting it down to like under 45 seconds. Like eventually you're just going to get to it. You're not yeah, a man well, who gets to the point. Which is funny because I, I feel like that's all my job is, is is quick decisions of getting to the point. But yeah, you're right. I, I do like to tell a good story and can go a little elaborate. A few extraneous details. All right. So I uh, picked out 10 random-ass things. Nick's going to give us first thoughts on them, and we'll see if I cut them off and keep moving on here to make this quick and expedited. Uh, all right. For, first off, uh, <laughs> high beams. Oh, I love high beams. I love a chance to put on my high beams. It's awesome. And I love it. For those of you that may not know what high beams are, they're, they're basically your bright lights on your headlights. And I'm going to go the opposite around, so they're quite annoying. And uh, I'm not even entirely sure that they should even be on vehicles, but that's just me. Oh, it, it's essential. You're not a man who grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas, and you would put on your high beams at least once a week because there wasn't that many people on. Now I miss it. I miss not being able to put on the high beams. Blind people. Well, this holiday just happened, but uh, uh, President's Day. Why is that? Why is that a holiday? I mean, I'm grateful for the, having the holiday off. I like it, but I'm always like, <laughs> which one are we celebrating? We we hear about them enough. They got enough credit, okay? All right, Pop-Tarts, uh, heated or not? I will eat them cold out of pure laziness, but they do taste better heated. I'd rather heat them up. In general, I would rather heat things up. I said this to somebody the other day. They didn't believe me. I don't think I've ever taken the time or been presented with a Pop-Tart out of a toaster oven. Oh, you got to try it. It's fantastic. It's it's better. I'm not going to go ahead and say it's that much better. The problem is it's good enough cold that you're like, oh, I, don't feel like I don't feel like doing this. All right. Uh, gloves without fingers. Why? I'm an adult. Mittens should be banned past the age of 10. You don't Unless, need mittens past the age of 10. Suff, suck it up. Unless you're climbing Everest or you're under the age of 10, you should have gloves with fingers. Show me somebody wearing mittens. I'm going to show you an idiot. Oh, my God. I'm, I don't lie. Use your damn hands. 
Because then you got to, you as an adult have to use your hands too much to be wearing mittens. And then you got to take them off. You got to put something else on. It's a waste of time. You're an adult. Get rid of the mittens. Just for the record, I, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to keep moving How on. How many pairs of mittens do you have there, mitten man? I, I actually don't have a pair of mittens. I'm not against mittens like you, though. I'm against them. Like Firmly anti-mitten. I'm I'm okay with mittens. Like, I'm okay with mittens. I'm not. I actually think, a you know, whether you are interested in men or women, uh, I think that your partner can look very cute in a pair of mittens. Oh, so your wife has mittens and you like it. Yeah, she wears a nice little hat, like goes along with the mittens. It's a cute little look on her. Uh, okay, anyways, I'll, I'll accept that. Women can wear mittens. Men cannot wear mittens. Men cannot wear mittens. Men should not have mittens. Throw them out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't expecting you to go off like that on that one. Uh, all right, coming back here. Uh, car air fresheners. I've never had one. I've never had never. a car air freshener. If you have a bunch of car, if you have a bunch of air fresheners in your vehicle, you are telling me that you do not maintain either your hygiene or your car's cleanliness. All right, Valentine's Day chocolate. Valentine's Day is the biggest sham holiday. Nobody wants to be doing this. Men, women, whatever. Nobody wants to be doing this. But you also can't be the one person who doesn't do it. So we've all got to go along. Have you ever been in that situation where you are the person who fails on Valentine's Day? No, although I have had relationships in which the girlfriend or wife, Dawn, if you're listening, <laughs> didn't wish me a happy Valentine's Day, and I was a little upset about it. I was a little hurt. Were you a little hurt? A little bit, only because I oh. did something and they didn't, right? It would be like any, but I think that's the same thing. All right, uh, Q-tips. Oh, I love them. I use a Q-tip in my ears pretty much every day. I'm going to go ahead and say that the feeling of putting a Q-tip in your ear is second to, if not better, than having relations of a physical nature. It's that feeling pretty... of getting like, whoa, I would yeah. almost like, it's close. Now, I've been married for 10 years, so I've, you know, I've, I've been there. I've rounded the bases <laughs> many a time. And if somebody was like, would you rather round the bases or clean out your ears with a Q-tip when they're itchy? Like, ooh, I might just clean oh, out my man. ears with a Q-tip when they're itchy. It's better than sex. Man, there is like, if you have a little bit of wax buildup in there and you get like where you go around a couple of times, but it kind of, like you said, it kind of itches in there. Oof, oof, give me the goose pimples. Uh, do you say goose bumps or goose pimples? What do you I say? I say goose bumps because I'm a normal person. Mm, that, I've I mean, never if I had the goose pimples, if Makes I had you sound the like you got a terrible thing, login, that would be the poll that I ask. That's why goose we don't pimples? have it. I know that's fine. Uh, all right, getting getting to the end of the list here. Okay. Um, <laughs> animals held in captivity, like animals at SeaWorld. I don't like them when they're at an amusement park. I don't like them when it's there. I think that there's something that's a little bit off about that. But I think being in a zoo is maybe that's not the best thing, but I also think that it raises awareness for the animal as a whole. I'm not going to use the word necessarily evil, but I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, look, that raises awareness about that animal and probably does a lot for protecting the animal overall. But I don't really think that they should be at theme parks. That's a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. How did you – why is this here? I agree with you. I This is probably an unpopular uh, thought, but I think zoos are actually good because I, I think it gives people who can't go on safaris, you know, can't go underwater and look at sharks, you know, in, 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 in non-zoo settings. It gives you a respect of the animal that's safe for you and the animal. So I'm, 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 all, I'm all in on zoos. I, I like zoos. I like zoos. I think it's probably overall a good thing. All right, uh, last last thing here, face cream. Oh, you got to moisturize, man. You got to take care of your skin. Do you face cream? Of course. <laughs> of course you do. I don't know the difference between if face cream is the same as moisturizer, but I'm going to put on some sunscreen and moisturizer. I put on sunscreen every day, even if I'm not going outside. Are you Are you serious? Yeah, why wouldn't you? You put sunscreen on when you're well, not even going... 
it comes in the little thing. You can get like lotion with sunscreen. I put on some lotion after I get out of the shower. Okay. Okay. I, I, okay. That's why I, I look like this. That's why I look like this and I'm 65. <laughs> You're going to have skin like a leather belt. Yeah, right? I mean, moisturize your face. Take care of yourself. I don't understand that. I think that this was a thing. You and I are old enough to remember when, like, being a metrosexual was an insult. Like, what are you doing over there? Take, oh, sure. Putting on sunscreen? That's weird. Putting on sunscreen? <laughs> are you running? Taking oh. care of your heart? Like, you getting a haircut? <laughs> like, remember it's, that? It's quite incredible to see... You know the the change of thought the thought process of people from that time to even where we are now like you know if you're if you're not mid 30s early 40s uh if you're much younger you know it's it wasn't always it like was this like that remember i forgot completely about that how you would be people would be like look at this metrosexual combing his hair yeah i'm like well, i remember even if you were a boy and you used uh hairspray you would get picked on for hairspray. Like, oh, yeah. But I remember being made fun of as like, look at your hair. You got hair gel in it. Like, no, I don't. It's just hair. Okay. Is that your thing? That's it. Let's move on. Uh, so our top five is top five best excuses. Whether it's a personal thing, work thing, top five best excuses. What's your number five? Uh, so number five is pretty basic. I mean, mo a lot of mine are pretty basic, but, uh, this one's really basic and that's just having some kind of an, of appointments that pops up the, the morning of the day of work as mm. if you don't schedule appointments weeks out most times, you know, and we have all the ample things now, a calendar on your phone, everything else to let you know ahead of time. But I always love when people are like, yeah, I, uh, I have a doctor's appointment, uh, like in 10 minutes. I'm not going to be able to come in today. Mm, that's a good one. I always like the last second doctor's appointment. My number five is computer issues. Like, oh, I'm having computer problems. I think that is basically a work from home problem now. But, um, you know, because I would just go into the office then. Yeah, we're having computer problems, man. Got to fix it here. Can't get my login. <laughs> my log computer issues yeah. are a great thing. It's like, oh, the download's not working. Had to read down, like, oh, computer had to restart. That's why I was 20 minutes late to this meeting. Uh, what's your number four? Uh, like the, like a family member getting sick or, 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 or ill, but it's like your employer or your boss or your coworkers have no idea who that family member is. Like, oh, my Aunt Sarah got into a serious car accident. I got to go visit her in Indianapolis. I'm going to be gone for three days. Like my like, cousin's best friend's former roommate. My, my number four is simply I forgot. Because I don't think people can really argue with you that much when you're like, look, I just forgot. Like, well, I've forgotten stuff too. Like, you kind of, it's kind of over. It's like somebody saying that they're sorry. It's kind of done. Like, ah, well. See, I, I don't have that one or like that I overslept on here because to me, those, those aren't really excuses because I get it. Like I, I get it 100% because we've all, we've all done it. No matter what stage you are as a professional or what you do, you know, you've either have overslept, you know, or, or you just have forgotten. Like it happens. Okay. It's number three. <laughs> so this might be like a, a region specific thing, but it's always on days where we're going to get snow or rain or something where someone always goes, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make it in. Weather's bad. And then you look up like where they live and it's like, Tony, you do have power. I'm looking at your house right now, and it says you have power. No, I, I really don't have power. <laughs> right? Tell me like, you don't want to work today. Car trouble is a really good one. Car trouble yeah, car. could be a really good one. I didn't put it on the list, but car trouble should be on the honorable mention. Mine's a little bit related to that. My number three is traffic. Traffic's bad. Nobody See, in a big city is going to argue with you about traffic. They, but so as so as I've told people before that have told me that I say okay. Well, you get here when you get here. And then you can just hear the deflation in their voice. Like, like they want you to say, okay, don't worry about coming in. Then just go ahead and turn around. Like, you know, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Like, no, if you're already in the car, get your butt to work. My number two, I think, is the best sick excuse that you can have, which is stomach. Because everybody knows that that's like, that can happen at any time. 
Sure. You're generally pretty sick, and you can also recover from it pretty quickly. It's like the perfect illness is a st- I got a stomach bug because that could be like 12 hours. And so if my you were number out- one, go ahead. My number one, not to cut you off. My number one is is pretty much the same thing, but it's more specific, and that's food poisoning. Oh, food poisoning is a great one, right? Because like, like, oh, you know, I'm feeling better now. And and you can't really prove it, right? You can't, you know, it comes and it goes pretty quick, and it's just like, you know. First off, why are you calling? You're supposed to start in 10 minutes. You sound like you just woke up, but you've been throwing up for the last three hours. Get the fuck out of here. John is a man who has heard many excuses in his life. I don't know why you didn't put this in, but I think this is the ultimate excuse and possibly a reason for having them in the first place. I could justify it solely. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, kids. Kids kids are the best excuse you could ever have. Maybe justifying (laughs) having kids because if you tell someone with kids – that your kids are the reason you can't do something, that is the end of that conversation, and there is no questions being asked. So, actually, that, that's one of my few honorable mentions as kids. I didn't put it on the list strictly because that is probably the only reason why I call in sick or, or, or don't show up to work are my kids. Like, I get it. If, if you have kids, like I mean, it's not an excuse. Kids ruin everything, and they're disease vectors, and it's just, yeah, they... If you have seven sick days for the year, you're going to use seven of them on kids alone. What's on your honorable mention? Uh, so these two are, are really hyper-specific, but in my time of working as a professional, I swear that I've heard these. Uh, uh, we'll say three. I'll, I'll break the one down into two. But uh, back injuries, back and shoulder injuries specifically, like it's hard to argue against those. Yeah, you can't really argue with back. I would agree with that. Like, I hurt my back. And then it's and then it's always like house issues. Like my furnace went out or my basement flooded. I'm perfectly okay with people lying to me about not coming to work. You have anything in your honorable mention? The only thing I had would be car trouble. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some of the best excuses. I really think kids are the ultimate excuse because there's just no questions afterwards. But let us know what you think are some of the best excuses out there. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.